Welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. This podcast delivers insights on medical device packaging from regulatory affairs, process management, as well as discussions on the latest in sterile device packaging technologies. Each episode, our host, Charlie Webb, speaks with global experts to bring the most relevant information to our esteemed listeners. As sterile packaging compliance becomes increasingly more challenging, it is vital to avoid information gaps that could risk your medical device packaging program. Avoid package failure risks and build your skill set from your colleagues' experience and from insights from sterile device packaging subject matter experts. This is Charlie Webb and you're listening to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. Hello, medical device manufacturers and medical device packaging experts to another episode of Spod Radio. Well, I hope everyone's having a great spring. It looks like the big door of freedom is slowly squeaking open. Maybe we're all going to get out there and hang out with other humanoids this year. Let's hope we have a better summer, right? Well, listen, uh, you might have heard Nelson Labs is putting on a little bit of a webinar that I think we could all benefit from. They're calling it Packaging Validation 101. I know for a lot of more seasoned packaging engineers, the whole 101 thing might scare you away. But I can tell you, I have been through, particularly on this podcast, I've been through so much review on things that I just really felt very solid about, only to sort of realize that, well, you know, maybe a refresher was just that I, what I needed, especially with my aging brain. So if you're new to medical device packaging, or again, if you're a seasoned expert, there's still much to get from this webinar. And we're going to talk to uh, Wendy Mock from Nelson Labs a little bit about what's going to be covered. It's happening on May 13th, so mark that in your calendar. And I'll put a description and a link in the uh, podcast description today. You can go ahead and link and sign up. So let's get started with this discussion. Let me first tell you a little bit about Wendy. Wendy Mock is with Nelson Labs. She has over 27 years of medical device manufacturing and laboratory experience. She's a known expert in the medtech packaging industry and, of course, a sought-after speaker. She's also actively contributes to industry publications. In her role as consulting manager, Wendy works with clients to address their unique needs in order to meet the requirements of packaging validation. Now, I urge you to take a peek at the podcast description today where you can see how very cool she is on her complete bio. Now, I've been trying to get Wendy here now for, I guess it's been about a year and a half. She finally made it. I'm so pleased. Welcome to the show. It's so great to finally be able to talk to you, Wendy. Hi, Charlie. How are you doing? Doing great. Well, first of all, I guess, tell me a little bit about Nelson's Labs. What do you guys do there? I know you're a 17025 uh, lab. You do testing stuff. But uh, maybe you can give me sort of the menu of what y'all do over there for medical device packaging. Sure. So we do more than just medical device packaging, right? We do the medical device testing, routine testing, including product sterility, bacterial endotoxin, bioburden, product sterility, all of that, in addition to the packaging aspect of our laboratory. But focusing on packaging, we offer the whole gambit of tests, including distribution, integrity, strength, and the microbial barrier properties test. So anything that's listed in the 11607, for the most part, to prove your SBS, we can test for you. Okay. Yeah, we as you know, we're also, for just our small little niche, we're also a 17025 lab. When we hang out with other people that are in the 17025 universe, 
We are always high five, and all of us have blue hands from doing the 1929 dye penetration test. So that's kind of our tattoo, yeah. you know, that's our street cred, right? So you guys support. We're all Smurfs. Yeah, you know, we pull stuff apart all day long and we dye things, you know. So we don't get to do any of the fun, crazy stuff, no Frankenstein stuff in our lab, but we definitely know what you do over there. So you have a webinar coming up, and you're going to talk about, I guess, principally the 11607 medical device packaging sort of guidance. Give us the sort of nuts and bolts. Um, what is the sort of scope of that discussion? Sure. We're going to do a webinar on Packaging Validations 101. So it's an introductory level on what the requirements are associated with ISO 11607. What we're finding is a lot of people are still asking basic questions associated with how to do a packaging validation. What does that look like, including things like writing the protocol? How do you develop the test plan? How do you select the different test methods? Because there's an appendix that lists pages and pages of test options, which can be overwhelming for the new package engineers, and they don't know how to drive their test selection. Mm-hmm. We're also going to talk about some family grouping and worst case considerations because a lot of science is going faster than the test methods, uh, the technology. Is advancing so quickly. And so we don't want to have to keep doing validation after validation after validation. Is there an option to possibly leverage the data that we've already done to group in this additional device or package configuration? So that's a really high overview of the webinar that we're going to be putting on. It's interesting you say that I'm on the KIP group and I'm in the let's speed things up sort of committee. And we're talking about how there should be a good library of already sort of known situations and principles and policies that we can all pull from. Because I think when we're we're all starting from scratch, just uh, is slowing our process down to get medical devices quick to market. And so we're looking at other ways where we might truncate some of the regulatory processes. Now, because you're coming at from more of the optic of the testing laboratory, are you sort of skewed more or biased more a little bit when you're telling the story about the design of experiment phase of 11607? I don't think so because I don't actually work directly in the testing laboratory. I'm actually doing the consulting aspect of the company. And so my job spends a lot of time working from a storytelling perspective. So I love the part where I get to help them try to figure out how not to do the testing and leverage the data that they've already finished and how can we save not only devices cost time and get these products to market faster so i mean the um, the nascent packaging engineer that's never been down the 11607 pathway are we starting when you say 101 you know 101 to me means we're starting from the very raw bottom so the people that are going to be part of this how much down that road do they need to be or are we really talking 101 here 
We're really talking 101 here. We're going to look at including some videos so that the viewers can take a look at what the tests look like in the actual lab. With the uh, COVID pandemic out there, face-to-face interactions have been very limited. Mm. And so when we would normally bring engineers or audits on site, we've been doing a lot of this remotely. And so we're customizing these approaches so that we can see these tests in process as they occur. So we're leveraging that in this webinar to demonstrate what some of these methods look like using those videos. You know, I think a lot of questions that come up, I'm thinking from the uh, chair of the webinar, is uh, things like sample size. I just get a lot of calls from our tech support line when it uh, moves up the line and comes to me where new engineers are trying to understand, first of all, how to develop a good cogent design of experiment that follows the new 11607 and now the, the 2019 iteration. There's a lot of confusion. Will you talk about sample size and how do you know when you have statistically relevant numbers when you're designing your experiments? I've seen it all over the map where some of our companies are doing these very sort of thumbnail DOEs and there really isn't enough population to really engender a good outcome in terms of you now have valuable data. They're either too small or they're framing the testing in the DOE. So DOEs to me in any way, maybe again, it's a bias. But to me, it seems like that's a place where a lot of the new engineers are getting stuck on that early part of the design of experiment phase. Yeah. So like you mentioned, the 11607 does state that the sampling plans need to be based on statistically valid rationale. And that's pretty much where they drop you. They don't help you understand what does that statistical rationale look like? What should you consider? So the most frequent approach that we use for our customers is a combination of risk, the device and its patient contact, and then what the test method is that we're going to be testing for. So we we have that risk priority number that we determine, and then that converts into a statistical value based on how different or how appropriate it is based on the characteristics that we've used. So frequently you'll be finding that it will be anywhere between 29 or 59, depending on what that output looks like. But again, it's a risk-based priority number. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of good success submitting to the FDA So we feel like we've got a really good grasp on what the approach should be. It's not as simple, right, as going over to AQLs and saying, my lot size is this and I can test this many samples. Mm -hmm. So, And some companies have a different risk policy. And of course, the class of devices you pointed out. I think another one's coming up recently is, and I'm always so surprised about this. Again, this, it just doesn't seem like even though we have 11607 as our guidance document, we still don't have a lot of consensus in medical device packaging in many ways, in my opinion. We still see customers who are doing, for instance, burst testing every day is sort of their standard, we'll call it a quality assurance process. But many, many more are using the ASTM F88, uh, M15 iteration. And because those are quick, they're looking at the seal that they're creating in-house with less of an optic on the whole pouch. So when you're developing a design experiment, we know that you want to gather the data of the whole package. 
But in process, how do you guide customers that are going to be moving forward? I mean, our guidance has pretty much been in the early days, you want to understand the whole package and its value and its strength and develop science around that. But in the day-to-day sort of quality assurance piece where in-house you're creating the closure seal or that butt seal, then you need to probably do destructive testing like the F88. What's your sort of guidance on testing methods? So for the in-process verification around the sterile barrier systems, we're seeing a lot of pushback from the FDA that they want to see visual inspection corresponding with the peel test. It's not enough to have the seal values anymore. They want to know that somebody's looking at these packages for channels and uh, defects of that nature, which it can be a challenge, right? Because the visual inspection process is very highly variable. And so now it feels like the expectation is that we're putting a lot more emphasis on a, on something that's more variable rather than an output that is definitive. So that gets to be a little difficult to manage from a manufacturer's perspective and from a testing facility's perspective. Mm-hmm. A long time ago, in fact, I mentioned this on a corporate capability video I just did, and uh, forgive the commercial here, but we always started out our day with our companies. We do daily hikes. And we noticed that the low angle of light would create a shadow on the little rocks. And it just kind of stood out different in the fall and into the winter. And so we developed this view system, which side lights the pouch. So it's easier to sort of draw attention to pleats and and, uh, high spots, foldovers, those sort of things. But, you know, the 1886 for a lot of our customers was sort of difficult to follow. They're trying to make sure that the lumens that are stated in that standard are washing over the sealed area. This is another one of those things where I think because the standard made it difficult to come up with a codified visual inspection process, they just abandon it. But it's ironic, and as you say, I mean, it's just like indigenous people, when they were hitting a rock against obsidian, they were looking at it as they were creating. I mean, human vision is a very powerful thing. It's connected to an amazing brain. So I am always surprised that visual inspection isn't used more. In fact, we think it's so important. We integrated it onto one of the peel testers that we developed. But I think the problem on the audit side is that it feels somewhat evanescent. It really isn't feel like a hard metric that it's like, well, you looked at it, but where's the data output from your head? And that's really where we, we end up coming on when it comes to visual inspection. Exactly. We have an internal qualification method that our visual inspection inspectors go through prior to. And it's always interesting when they take the the calibration test and you get the different results from each person. So it just mm. goes to validate that what you're saying is how do you get that out of their brain? But the really cool thing though, is that if you're not aware the ASTM is currently working through trying to hopefully make that a better standard. We're looking at really focusing on the light and if the amount of lumens versus the distance is the correct number and then what are those defects that should be inspected because currently F88 
1886 really only requires you to look for channels, but punctures kind of falls into the appendix, right? And so we're looking at bringing, if there's a puncture, that should be very obvious, possibly bringing punctures and tears over into those required defects. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm managing our 17025 lab, and I don't have a problem developing my own protocol. I mean, most MDMs want to have that attached to an ASTM standard. You understand, because these are already vetted systems that they know what the outcome is. And I mean, I can see why they do it. But even for us, where we come up to a system, in fact, that's the reason that we developed that view system, is that... The biggest problem is, is that one person will look at it with a standard incandescent light bulb. Another one will use a fluorescent light bulb. Another one holds it by the window to see it. So you have all of these mixed light sources, mixed visual acuity of the inspector that's looking at this uh, seal. So it's difficult to aggregate those into a, to a simple plan. But if you have a simple light that gets roughly the lumens that the 1886 calls out for and you have that distance fixed and maybe you look at a loop in our case it's a 3x magnification something that every time a person goes to inspect that pouch at least you know that the lighting and the distance to the the pouch is the same and you could write an sop around that and at least it's i hate to say it's better than nothing is is a lot better than nothing i mean one of the biggest challenges that we see is narrow seals so if you're packaging machinery isn't working correctly, it's not delivering enough heat or force, it's possible that that 10 millimeter seal is an 8 millimeter seal. It's 20% less than what it should be and you never even see it. So 20% of the distance between the hostile bacteria virus laden world and your sterile device has now been cut by that amount of real estate. And so visual inspection to me even more than foldovers, I think has a lot of value in looking for narrow seals. Yep. And then you have to take into that risk, right? Is that 20% going to compromise that sterile barrier? Probably not, Mm. but you do need to have the data to prove that. Yeah, it has to be understood. I mean, on a burst test, it's going to fail that much quicker. And um, it also may be a harbinger. And I think that's the other part of visual inspection is that even if it doesn't do anything on its own, it is a harbinger to say something's going wrong, there's a anomaly on the heating platen, the pressure isn't enough because the seal's in your own. So there's quite a lot of data that can be gleaned from visual inspection. So obviously we sell something that does it, so we want to see more people using it. But the reason we developed it was for our own lab use. And that's why we developed the first place, because we could never find a system where you could really put together a SOP where the distance and the lighting was the same. And that's all we try to accomplish. Are there other testing methods that are on the horizon that will be changed that you're aware of, or maybe new ones that are coming into the fold? Yeah, the um, seal peel method, there is a focus on developing guidance associated what a minimum seal strength should look like for sterile barrier systems. So uh, there's a multitude of ways that companies are trying to figure out what an acceptable minimum seal strength is. And so the industry is coming together and are putting together a document so that everybody has the same approaches to establishing what that looks like. So that's an exciting document. Yeah, I mean, that, it's funny. I think it's one of the biggest urban legends in medical device packaging is the one pound peel strength. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's like it's a it's, it's become 
a story that's become true over and sort of yes, but no. I mean, our arbiter in our lab is we'll peel the factory seal with a goal to beat it by 10%. And that's kind of our line in the sand. But it's good to hear that some more guidance is going. There are so many people I think are in the weeds when it comes to seal strength. Yeah, we're really excited to get this guidance document out there. There's been a lot of requests for help. There's been a lot of team members from the entire industry working towards harmonizing the approaches. So this is an exciting document that I'm really looking forward to seeing published. So on your webinar that's coming up for medical device packaging, who's it available to? Uh, Is it everyone? Is there a fee attached? How long is it? Maybe you can give me the facts here on that webinar that's coming up. I would love to give you the facts. The webinar is going to be about 45 minutes. It is free to everyone. All you need to do is go onto our website and click on the link, then sign up and you will get a email back with a link for the to join. We're really excited to have that interaction at the end. We want questions and answers. This is really where we get into the nitty gritty of the discussion because the interaction is really the best part of the webinar. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that everybody should wait until the end and then (laughs) jump on for the questions. By all means, please do listen to the entire approach because there's a lot of good stuff in there. Our webinars are based on our experiences with all of our customers. We interact with the FDA on a routine basis and have to deal with feedback questions. And so we've incorporated a lot of that into to how we have designed our test plans and our approach to packaging validations. Cool. Well, I'm going to throw a a link in the description of the podcast. Now, is this going to cover IQ, OQ, PQ pretty much from the beginning to the end? No, we're not going to go back into design. We're going to hit it starting from post-sterilization. And what do you do after you've established that sterile system? Okay. And so the pretty much is because, as you said, it's a one-on-one sort of a deal. I mean, will more senior engineers get something out of it as well? I hope so, because the document has just revised. And so we have tried to bring in a lot of the new changes from the current revision so that people could take a look at what it was previously versus where you need to be today. Yeah, I think a crosswalk between the standard, we just, well, you probably know the 17025 went through a revision two or three years ago and and I had to do the crosswalk over. And so trying to get that to where there's a document or a webinar where they're saying, well, you used to do it this way, but now the expectation is you have to do it this way. Or um, maybe you don't have to do it. In the case of the 17025, you don't even need a quality man- manual anymore. So any of the things our listeners should know about getting a jump, I guess you didn't tell me the date. What dates are we doing and uh, anything else you can tell me about it? Oh, that's a really good question, Charlie. (laughs) Sure, I'd like to throw little fastballs at you. (laughs) Well, I tell you what I'll do since I put you in the hot seat here. I'll put the dates in the course and the podcast description so you don't have to go rifling through all your paperwork right now. So take a look at the course description. It'll have a link on where you need to go to be part of it. And it'll give you all the contact information and everything else you need to do. And it'll include 
the date. Any closing words for me today, Wendy? And by the way, it's, I've been trying to get you on this thing for about a year and a half. So t- I got you finally. So thank you so much for <laughs> finally agreeing to get on here. I think you had to wait to see if this podcast is really going anywhere before you'd agree. But thank you no, so much. I'm just a little nervous about being public. So ah, well, you're, <laughs> you're terrific. And I appreciate that. And we love your company. The fact you're one of our customers and uh, we appreciate our long 20 year plus connection with you guys and uh, all the good work that you do over there. So um, any closing words, Wendy, before I free you back into the wild? I hope to hear from everybody on the webinar and thank you so much for letting me participate. Thanks for joining me today, Wendy. Look forward and I'm going to be there and listening in. Thank you. Well, this is so awesome. Packaging Validation 101 is what Nelson Labs is calling this webinar. Again, it's happening May 13th. And as I say, you can go down to the bottom of the podcast description. There's a link there that will give you some more information. And on that information piece, you can also link to sign up. And they're going to be covering a lot of topics. Everything from determining an appropriate sample size for testing, writing validation protocol, developing test plans, selecting appropriate tests, an important one, family grouping and worst case considerations. Worst case have become a big deal these days. And of course, creating the appropriate samples. So a lot to be covered, even if you're uh, an old seasoned packaging validation guy like me. There's still plenty to learn. Look forward to having you back with me in the next podcast. And uh, thank you so much for your continued support. Our podcast is growing and growing. This is Charlie Webb. We'll catch you next time on Sterile Packaging on Track Radio, Spot Radio. This podcast is made possible by Vanderstahl Scientific. Executive producer, Lisa Wasper. Director of Media Service, Hector Garcia. Audio engineering and editing by Joel and our friends at East Coast Studios. And this is Jonathan Lockwood saying thanks for your support, medical device manufacturers. See you next time on Spot Radio.